Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of IAOP's PulseCast. I'm Amanda Safdar. Today we'll be listening in on a session brought to us by HCL, Ocean Spray, and Predium Partners, where this panel of experts discusses the exemplification between active versus passive retailers in technology investment and how IT services and product organizations can transform their suite of offerings to be in line with the increased client investment. Enjoy. Thank you, Amanda, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. It goes without saying that we're still living in uncertain and disruptive times. But that being said, we all look forward toward recovery and the getting on with business post COVID-19. Challenges will remain, but understanding them and how to overcome them is critical, which is why I'm thrilled to be introducing today's program brought to you by Ocean Spray, HCL and Predium Partners, members of IOP's Knowledge Collective. These panelists will share their expertise with us today as they address the question, has COVID-19 increased the divide between the retailers, those who invested in technology innovation versus those who did not? Please feel free to ask questions using the chat or the Q&A feature on your screen. Thank you. And now please allow me to introduce our moderator, Kyle Andrews, founding partner of Predium Partners. It's all yours, Kyle. Thank you, Debbie. Very much appreciate that. And uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Uh, welcome to today's webinar and uh, panel discussion. Uh, as Debbie says, my name is Kyle Andrews. Um, I'm going to moderate today's panel discussion. It's just another great example of members coming together to deliver outstanding content for you. And in fact, this is actually the first webinar under the umbrella of IOP's recently formed Knowledge Collective. So we're really excited to be uh, to be kicking this off. Um, you know the topic from Debbie, but our panelists today are going to discuss the obvious exemplification between active and passive retailers in technology investment and how IT services and product organizations can transform their suite of offerings to be in line with increased client investments. As you all know, you're on mute. Uh, you can ask questions through chat. Um, we're also going to be doing some polling questions, so uh, be ready to, to enjoy those. We have two really phenomenal panelists today who will be sharing their knowledge and insights with us today. Uh, BJ Verma of HCL, I've known BJ for a long time, and Jamie Head of Ocean Spray. I wanna tell you a little bit about them before we get going. And uh, here we go. So BJ is one of the key leaders who set the foundation of HCL's infrastructure business in North America and further engineered its success as the business line became synonymous with global leadership and service excellence. He has spearheaded strategic transformation programs for many Fortune 500 clients, helping them increase business value through effectiveness, efficiency, and customer satisfaction all at the same time. He's a career HCLite and part of the HCL Senior Management Trainee Program. BJ has held many positions, including a founder and partner of HCL's cybersecurity practice, working with the CEO's office and product management. He's known to be a frontline leader, takes independent uh, charge and PL responsibility, and he heads the retail and consumer product group business for HCL America. Uh, Jamie Head is the Chief Digital and Technology Officer for Ocean Spray. He's an experienced leader within technology strategy, managed services, and digital transformation. Jamie is a seasoned Chief Digital and Technology Officer, currently leading strategic and transformation initiatives for Ocean Spray. He's based in Boston, Massachusetts, and he's passionate about unlocking value through innovation, building effective teams, and developing talent and teams. He's worked extensively across Europe and the Americas with global teaming experience. He holds a BSc focused in business IT from Aston University and numerous business leadership qualifications. So that is one amazing panel. So I wanna give VJ and Jamie each about a minute or so to just kind of share a little bit about the perspectives they plan to bring to the discussion. So Jamie, I'll, or VJ, I'll let you go first on this one. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you so much. Uh, and hi, everyone. Uh, before I get started, uh, I hope that all you and your loved ones are safe and healthy there. So at HCL, uh, we look at this pandemic from following perspective. 
essential services and non-essential services. All the essential services, as you know, they are hit by this spike in demand, which is a good challenge to have. Uh, whereas the challenge for them is on supply, on fulfilling the demand and the ability to adapt to newer business processes uh, within days. Examples are like switching between providers, suppliers, and also ensuring that the processes, they are resilient, they're adaptable and interoperable. And the true test was, a true litmus test was the COVID for all such processes. And we know that one of the biggest gainers out of this was Amazon. And, you know, non-essential services are hit by lack of demand. Uh, there is a challenge is to, their challenge is to open uh, new avenues, new channels to maximize revenues, and at the same time, retain customer loyalty. So the big divide, as Kyle was talking about, are retailers who have invested in technology are gaining from this. Example, omni-channel, curbside pickup, buy online, pick up in store, such investments are paying high dividend now, where others who, are, who have not invested, they're lagging. They're, the, <clears throat> they're either on the brink of filing bankruptcy or seeing a huge drop in their revenue. So where the investment needs to be made, for essentials, we are looking for investment, we think on the supply chain, fulfillment, data security, you know, PII, PCI, et cetera. On non-essentials, we're talking about digital transformation, omni-channel enablement, e-commerce. We have witnessed industry leaders, organizations taking following three-pronged approach companies invested in these technologies and have gained from this solution. So the first one is cost optimization and cost elimination for legacy systems, ensuring that the processes are optimized and automated for legacy business and IT, thereby helping them in order to create a self-funded transformation model. So freeing up the cash to invest into the transformation. That's the number one. Number two is to ensure invest, investment in business process simplification, digital transformation to provide business resiliency and IT resiliency, thereby providing an opportunity to navigate through these kinds of challenges or risks. That is number two. Number three is all about creating a strong product and platform strategy, leveraging its strength in order to enable increase in their revenue share in the market, understand their needs, you know, of their customers through the through customer 360 degree program, beat analytics, beat understanding the patterns of customers behavior or ensuring the processes are simplified for increasing the customer satisfaction. In short, they're ready to take head on with digital natives powered by product and platform strategy. So that's, that's my thought, you know. Over to you, Kyle. All right, that was great, BJ. Thank you very much. Um, Jamie, a little bit about what you plan to bring to today. Thanks, Carl, and uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And just uh, to what BJ says, hope you're keeping well and healthy out there. Um, I've, been, I've been around CPG for like 20 years now, so I love my brands. And I think what, I, what I've seen is corporations and how they tick, they've typically been like trains. And um, in this current environment, we've had to suddenly pivot and look at everything in a different lens. So whether that's how you manage people, how you manage your portfolio, uh, how you manage speed to market, routes to market, and um, how you really start to think differently and uh, significantly decrease your decision-making time. Look, if, if we went to the, a board or something pre-COVID and said, look, I want to have all the workforce working from home, we, we would have been here for months with HR policies, legal policies, but we did it over a weekend and, um, and suddenly we shifted into this new world. So 
Um, hopefully I can bring to the table some pragmatic perspective for what's, what's happening between manufacturers and retailers and seeing where some of the shifts are going in terms of product and uh, portfolio and that digitization thing that we often talk about. So look forward to the conversation and uh, let's get cracking. Great. Thank you so much, Jamie. So before we get started, I'm going to share just a couple of uh, facts and figures that will uh, basically bring a little context and help kick off the discussion. And then we're going to do our first polling question right before we kind of start our, our Q&A of the panel, because I think it leads into that really well. So just a couple of, a couple of things to get this started is, you know, retail suffered uh, the second most of any industry uh, during the first part of COVID. The first was obviously leisure and hospitality for all you that had hotel and cruise reservations and all that. Um, but it's also showed the strongest gains after, after reopening. So retails seem pretty resilient, I think. Um, the credit quality for retailers, however, uh, has gone down. Uh, the buy now, pay later partnerships are, are certainly driving growth in retail. Uh, in fact, PayPal beat JP Morgan Chase by market cap and Afterpay, which is Australia's biggest tech company, grew by 157% so far in, in 2020. Um, Chinese Shangxi Robot Catering Group actually started a robot restaurant in China. Uh, th that's pretty fascinating to me. And there's new corporate social uh, responsibility rules. Uh, a Michelin five-star restaurant in New York is now serving food to thousands of underprivileged and frontline workers uh, during COVID. So a lot of crazy things going on today. What I'd like to do before we start our actual discussion is, Amanda, I'd like to call up our first um, question, our first polling question and uh, let people get a chance to take a crack at that. And our, I'll let our panelists leverage that uh, during, uh, during their, their uh, question. So go ahead. Uh, will brick and mortar retail stores continue to be the preferred channel mode for CPG companies in spite of digital consumers forming traction, yes or no? So should I gunch? I don't think we can answer as uh, um, we as panelists can't answer. Um, so it's just hosts and panelists cannot vote, it says at the bottom of this. I hate losing my right to vote. <laughs> so Kim, I, I assume that once that's kind of done, you'll go ahead and share that, right? Absolutely. Kim, I'm just going to give it a couple I'm more. Sorry. Yeah, I'll give it a couple right. more seconds. We've got about 57% of the vote in and then I'll share the results. We've got a couple of folks, by the way, from Data Factory in India. It's uh, at least eight and a half hours ahead where they're at, I'm sure. So kind of a late night. I like that. Thanks to all of you who are joining from all over the world, we hope. Okay. Oh, are you kidding me? We're 50-50? Wow. Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and, uh, and, and, and close that, which I just did. Let me start with our, our first question here. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this to VJ first and then let Jamie kind of chime in. So uh, retail consumer products group industries have suffered badly during COVID-19. What are the two biggest challenges facing senior leadership um, uh, in the retail and CPG industry today? And is there scope for value creation despite these challenges? So VJ, what do you think about that? Yeah, as I talked about, you know, uh, as I started, I said like COVID has a bigger impact on retail CPG. Uh, and the impact is, you know, disproportionate across essential and non-essential categories. While we see that there is a huge spike in demand, you know, and there's been a, which was, which was fueled by panic consumer buying in the initial stages, like life at home increased online shopping, you know, cooking increased buying of appliances and health and wellness, you know, product consumptions, stretched supply chains, delays in fulfillment, you know, the focus areas where adaptive supply chain, revisit portfolio and e-commerce. While on the non-essential, there, there has been an exponential decrease in demand, you know, adapting different sales channels, you know, the focus area in terms of getting on to the new channel partners, move from a labor intensive to remote working. So I just wanted to bring out two proof points here. So one of, one of, our, one of the leading food supply company, which supplies food uh, 
you know, uh, food, food items to the restaurants, they have to change their business model, supply chain processes, you know, uh, changes and APIs for quick onboarding uh, for new channels like Costco, Kroger, and built EDI connections in order to ensure revenue loss, you know, perishable stocks and provide them with a new revenue channel. While doing all these changes, you know, the core supply chain process they had, they had to adhere to the stringent cybersecurity needs, protecting their IT assets, you know, from external threat. And they had to do this at a lightning speed, going from almost 60 to 70% manual to 100% digital. That was the challenge and they were able to implement this. The second was about a company which is the world largest beverage company based out of North America. While we have seen the football, footfalls have reduced in the, in the stores, the challenge was in terms of how you directly get in touch with your consumers, you know, and it was in terms of going and opening up the D2C. While most of the retail and CPG companies, they have in their roadmap getting into direct to consumer, but it was fast tracked by completely from few months to few days. So in terms of ensuring participating with them in digital engagement platform, getting the 700 sites across various geographies and locations on a central platform and leveraging their marketplace. That was the chance. So companies, what they're doing is that they are fast tracking their entire digital journey. And you know, the, the, the roadmap which they had for six to 12 months which is now completely compressed to a few days. That's over to you, Jamie. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those guys are really good examples there, Vijay. That's uh, fascinating. I think just, just to add a bit from the CPG lens, I mean, the, the two biggest challenge really is, well, first of all, people first. So how do you um, make, make sure that you are uh, keeping your employees safe, your frontline people safe in, in manufacturing? Um, and also mental health of your of your corporate staff who are you know, working from home, maybe getting tech fatigue, etc. But um, there, that was probably the, the biggest challenge up front. And then, um, how do we adapt and keep flexible? So whether it's technology to help with screening, uh, people movement and traffic, etc. So we understand how we can um, trace trace um, this this pandemic throughout the organisation. So. That was the biggest challenge. And then I think as we were saying, the speed to pivot is it was so important to us. Like, how do we really shift gears and um, you know, redirect product, warehousing, et cetera, to the right channels that need it the most um, as our sort of demand signals changed um, for our business and uh, shifted over to, to e-com. But uh, we're in a category where everything uplifted um, versus one decline. So it was really about then what, which one do you prioritize over the other and using analytics to do that. Um, is there scope for value creation? Absolutely. Nothing like a crisis to understand where you can create the value. And uh, for us, it just put a spotlight on um, how do you use analytics in your supply chain uh, to understand how you can be more predictive and understand what's, um, what's really needed out of there using consumption data to understand the pool at a geographic area as well. So um, uh, a lot of uh, focus on that uh, for us. Excellent. Thank you. That, that, that's some great insight on that question from, from both of you. Um, Jamie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the next question uh, to you first. And, uh, you know, th this is something that we, we just watched it all happen, and it's been fascinating. But the question is that digital adopters have reported growth but non-adopters have struggled to stay afloat. Do you think this uh, divide is going to persist, persist post-COVID? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, hopefully uh, people will catch up and um, will return back to, to normality and it's an even playing field. But I think it all depends on your the category you play in. So you could, you've had a lot of very um, sharp um, retailers out there who invest a significant amount of technology 
but for the in-store experience. And um, you wouldn't call them laggards at all. You would say they're actually pretty advanced. It's just the shift of where you need to invest your technology capability has changed. And it's around the edges and um, on, you know, with the consumers in, in front of one of these and how do you um, rebuild your, your shop online leveraging technology there to help them. So um, while it's dire straits for a lot of retailers um, and we're all thinking of them, hope they, they, they will come out of it whole. Um, I think the, the intent is, well, how, how are you learning as a culture and as a business to say, okay, what are we learning through this to invest in the right technologies to wrap around the consumer and build the right consumer experience? Um, and I think that's going to be key of how, how can management focus on the right areas to do that. Uh, loyalty is key um, for, for in this area. And you just look, the likes of Panera out there, okay, they have 35 million people on their app. They shifted uh, pretty quickly to different subscription models and uh, brought the cafe to the car park and um, started to do things differently uh, to serve uh, the needs of, um, um, of the nation. So that's a really good example how they, they pivoted pretty quickly in, in that regard. So um, hopefully uh, things will catch up and, and level out, but um, those who can take a bunch of will certainly have uh, a strategic uh, first mover advantage post-COVID when this happens. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think those that, that already had kind of technology in place and kind of thoughts around this, I think they're able to pivot a lot, a lot more quickly. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But okay. Probably so got the people, you, oh, go it. ahead. Sorry, sorry. They probably already invest in the talent to do it, and that's probably probably the harder thing is the talent. So I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Being a guy who who runs a, a small sales performance improvement company, talent is really a critical deal. I agree. Uh, VJ, over to you on that one. Yeah, I mean, like I, I echo with Jamie. You know, in terms of uh, the two perspectives. One is what statistics they're talking about. And second is in terms of what we are seeing in our customer base. So if you look into last two years, uh, especially in the retail CPG industry, almost close to 9,000 stores closed in 2019 and almost uh, six to 5,500 stores closed in 2020. What COVID has done is that fast track the entire e-com adoption by almost eight percent you know and okay. what we are seeing here is that one of our uh, one of the world's fastest growing cosmetic and beauty company you know they launched the entire e-com website and post the launch and now the order booking has gone up by almost 300 percent that is one second is in terms of you know so so we are seeing the adoption is higher the revenues are growing you know for the companies who are walking this path, who have invested already, is uh, are their processes resilient, which I was talking about, adaptable? Are they interoperable? You know, are they flexible? So the second example which I wanted to bring out is about a leading sports and apparel company. You know, what happens is that when you shop for either apparel for running or hoops, you know, you do, you do some amount of research and land into the store. Once you get into the store, you need, you want to have a similar kind of an experience when you go online. So how you can bring in the augmented reality and virtual reality in order to provide a similar experience to your consumer where he can do a virtual tour of the store he can see the product, he can, he can see in terms of whether, how the product looks on her or him, you know, and simplifying the entire process, it, right from purchase to the shipment, building the trust that the shipment which happens is sanitized, you know, and it is touchless. So, so that able, which I agree with Jamie, it is about in terms of winning the loyalty. And the first important, foremost important pillar is winning the trust of the customer. Yeah. So, and we have been seeing that, you know, it has helped in terms of driving the customer experience and business agility by almost 300 times in this customer wow. scenario. Okay. Wow. 
You know, you, you hit a couple things there too, VJ, that kind of lead into our, our second polling question. So I'd like to let Amanda go ahead and uh, spool that up. And that question is, do you agree that COVID-19 has brought virtual and augmented reality into foray for digital shopping slash digital experiences complementing the buy online, pick up in store? Um, yeah, yeah. so I'm curious what you guys think on that. Um, and uh, let's see what we get. We've got responses coming in already. We'll leave this open for just another few seconds. Okay. Doesn't look like we'll be 50-50 this time, though, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> People have to make a decision. Yeah. <laughs> a surprise on that 50-50 split on the first question. Mm -hmm. So was I. So was I. All right. We're going to go ahead and publish this now. Whoa, okay. So right along the lines, VJ, with what you were what you were just talking about. That's right. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. Well, let me um, let me pop on our next uh, uh, panel question here, uh, and I'll let VJ handle this uh, the first. And the question is: Digital adoption has been driving sales, but the leads to cash cycles differ vastly within retail. What will be the major underpinnings? of a digital transformation strategy in retail and how can the non-adopters catch up? Right. So, so I think, you know, uh, how we define digital differs from customers to customer. It is not only in terms of creating a front-end web store. As I talked about, it is in terms of ensuring the entire backend processes, the supply chain, the data analytics, everything is all tied together, simplified. That is what digitization means. And if we are able to do that, we would be able to drive higher customer adoption. We would be able to drive higher customer satisfaction. And what we have seen is that, you know, uh, in our customer base, a, a, a leading beverage company, you know, focusing in terms of building resilience in their supply chain management channels, you know, so simplifying the entire supply chain processes, integrating, you know, the customer data, analytics, and geotagging. What happens then, once you integrate all these, you'd be able to you know, provide customized offerings. You'd be able to provide, you know, customized uh, promotions to the to your consumers, which are location-based, you know, which are geo-based, you'd be able to customize it. Otherwise, what happens is that during the winters here, often you see that you shop for jackets and you're not getting the size which you're looking for. You know, which, and these are, these are something how you are able to tie the entire backend so that, so that you are able to elevate the entire customer experience. Okay, excellent. Uh, Jamie, what would you add to that? Uh, yeah, I think just looking at retailers from, again, from the last CPG perspective, the groceries, I mean, it, traditionally over the last few years, it's been, um, a fight for the center aisle. Well, sorry, people shop around the edges and right, not necessarily right. the center aisles. And again, we've seen a complete flip and people are actually now more in the center aisle shopping for your commodity stuff, your, your, your toilet roll, et cetera. And, and in our line of business, juice business. And, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see, look, how can, um, some of the ecosystem partners like the Instacarts of this world, where they have a real intimate relationship with, the customer, how does it start to, to play out between retailers, uh, Instacarts as well, and CPG? And how do we start to intersect that data to try and understand, A, the category better to uplift the category, um, but how do you then look at the, um, the buying patterns um, for loyalty, for subscriptions, et cetera? And um, I think that's gonna be really interesting for us. So uh, look, we've had, 25% uplift in e-com, generally speaking, across CPGs. Um, but 90, 95% of your business is still in the, the grocery stores. So um, how do you um, go to market with new product and, and innovation um, 
with with your sort of brick and mortar companies is still really really important um but we need to work out how do you touch the consumer and um, understand more about them bring them in on the on the buying journey uh so you can tell them more about your authentic self versus people reading the ingredients on the back of packages and labeling because that doesn't happen so much more in store um so how do you get to them ahead of in the funnel well before they're in store so yeah it's going to be a interesting um interesting time i couldn't couldn't agree more it's just just from a, a casual observer just watching everything it's it's unbelievable uh so so jamie i'm gonna i'm gonna stay with you on on this next question and uh uh, here, here we go. The retail industry relies heavily on its workforce. And you talked uh, uh, a few minutes ago about talent and now talent is more important than technology. So this kind of gets, gets down to that. The industry relies heavily on its workforce, especially at the endpoints of the value chain. You know, those essential workers um, that are all kind of risking their lives so we can stay home and, and have stuff delivered. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're the endpoints of value chain. At the same time, availability of labor, is a major challenge, right? And of course, the availability of really qualified labor is, is even more. How can investing in, in digital um, help companies mitigate some of this labor and talent challenge, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I and mean, we, we have the labor thing, sort of manufacturing business. So we're so grateful again to our frontline staff in all of our factories um, around the world. And then you have, um, also, we have 65% of the world's cranberry production coming through receiving stations in a seasonal business that, again, requires labor. So it, it really has accelerated our need to look at our end-to-end -end process and say, look, where is the inefficiency? Where are all the handoffs in this chain? And where can we digitize them? Um, and it came from a safety point of view. But when you do the safety thing, you're actually improving something and getting the data back because you're digitizing it. So it's been an interesting um, accelerated journey. So let, let's, if it wasn't for COVID, we wouldn't have done it, but now we are. And um, we, we started on that piece of, so, okay, now let's really understand our end-to-end -end, um, supply chain and where can we remove some of these, these handover and touch points in, in that. So um, things like um, your QR codes or drivers coming up to receiving station and how do they, um, not hand over a piece of paper and, and, and use more digital tech approaches. And uh, certainly, actually, your friends at ours at HCL there, they came in and said that they did a design thinking session at our receiving stations, and we'd come up with a good blueprint. But now we might be able to get the investment to do something about it and go forward because we realize it's needed from a, from a health and safety point of view as well. So um, I think just in general, it's accelerating some of the inefficiencies in our supply chain. Okay, it, very interesting. VJ, um, tackle that for us. Yeah, so, so you know, I, I agree with Jimmy. One of the, you know, our retail CPG, as you said, is a labor intensive industry. What COVID has, you know, induced is some kind of a imbalance where you have companies which are doing well and companies which are not doing well. So there is an imbalance which is created from a workforce perspective, where in certain company, certain industry, you have excess of workforce, and certain, you know, you you you're, yeah. you're shutting shop and you're furloughing the you know people. The second challenge, which is in terms of reskilling and retraining the manpower in order to adapt to the new business model which is a contactless, touchless delivery, number of bots which are getting introduced in the warehouses, you know, number of new channels which are getting added, like, you know, you have Grubhub or you have, you know, Instacart. So are your workforce trained in order to deal with that, number one? So training is a most critical for retail CPG in order to adopt to the, you know, a new, new ways of business. Second is what we are seeing, the partnership, which, you know, Aldi did with McDonald's. If you see, as McDonald's were closing the stores, uh, the grocery retailer Aldi were needing more manpower. They tied up where, you know, McDonald's employees were trained in order to support Aldi stores. 
And we are seeing more and more such examples in the marketplace now, Lyft tie up with Amazon. You know, while Amazon needed more people, while Lyft was going down, you know, and now the drivers, they were trained warehouse operations, you know, so how technology can help in such things is in terms of creating a digital academy, fast tracking the training processes, you know, in terms of helping them to create such partnership to solve the imbalance which is created by COVID. Yeah, that's, that's I didn't really think of it quite like that. I, I, like, I like the way you framed that, especially at the end, so thank you. Um, I think a, 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 we, a good polling question uh, for right now would, uh, let's go ahead and launch uh, this next one, Amanda. And you're just talking about different personnel and digital uh, and online versus in-store and everything else. This question I think is, is right up the alley with that. So should retailers continue to invest in front store transformations, uh, citing the footfall volumes versus online volumes? So I'm curious to see, since we had a 50-50 on question number one, I'm really curious to kind of see, um, kind of see where we end up here. We'll leave it just up for a couple more. Yeah, I mean, so many stores are still just pickup only that I've seen, at least around where I'm at. So uh, it, it don't need much right there, I think. Mm. And we are going to end this just about 50-50 almost. Oh. Wow. You know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm kind of curious what you guys think of that. I, 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 you know, I know this isn't one of our real questions, but is it worth spending a couple minutes just kind of, what do you guys think about that? Or is, is that too future forecasting and nobody really knows? Which way did it flip? It was 50-50-ish, wasn't it? It was, it was 54-46 so, or 56-44. So right. it, the no kind of slightly led. I'm, I'm kind of curious. So for Ocean Spray, Jamie, yeah, you guys are different though, right? Because you're supplying to, to other retailers, but I'm right. kind of curious to see with your customers. Well, look, I think if, again, if you look by category, so like DIY stores, et cetera, where they are seeing a, an uplift in, in things. I mean, I think the price of wood has grown like 65% over the, during COVID. I mean, the, that commodity has gone through the roof. So, you, you could look at these sort of companies and say, well, how are they managing that in-store pickup and um, investing in technology uh, to help um, people come in and buy what they need to do their jobs um, at home? So, um, but by and large, I would have thought most of the retail on aggregate would have been no pause on that and shift the investment into the online experience um, okay. to, to drive the, the traffic that way. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I don't know. And and to be fair, um, we said retailers, right? That could mean every right. every kind of retailer. So maybe if we would have specified, we'd we'd get something different. I don't know. Yeah. Um, VJ, should we go to the next uh, next question and and let you have that to start with? Uh, how has COVID impacted digital customer journeys? What's worked and what hasn't? I'm obviously <laughs> you're you're in a position to see a lot of that. From, from different clients. So this was about uh, the digital, no, uh, can, can you repeat? Yeah, so, yeah, so how has COVID impacted digital customer journeys? What has worked and what hasn't? Yeah, so it, one thing which COVID has done is that, as I said, uh, you know, it has fast-tracked the entire digital journey for the customers, you know, so it has, the as as most of the customers they had in their roadmap digital transformation program which has been fast tracked by almost you know from few months to few days you know so that's that's uh, that's the thought you know which i have yeah okay jamie what do you what do you think about that yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that like we, we always look at your, your consumer insights and see where are they, where are they shopping and um, what are the demographics of them and uh, how, how do the different channels interplay with each other. And um, 
I think what we have to look at is there is no linear funnel anymore when you look at that marketing funnel of acquisition through to to purchase and consumers are all over the map in in uh, understanding where they are in the journey is, is is so important so for us it was where are they starting point where's the new entry levels and it was around what's popping so health and immunity um you are we are all looking for for ways to, to remain healthy um so starting there and then readdressing how do you tackle th the basic things like seo your, your digital media your placement and optimize through different channels um was a really important way just to to rethink about how you're managing your advertising portfolio um and then really understanding what is the offline impact of um advertising within amazon and uh, how do you track that and there is right. definitely a correlation um, for us, um, but just um, understanding how you turn up better at a at, on the digital shelf within Pure Play, um, again, is, it was really important to manage that consumer experience because most of the time they're searching on Amazon before they even search on Google when they're looking at food and beverage, as we know. So uh, it's important to get that right as well. Okay. Yeah. And, and just to add to what Jamie sure. said, one of the critical factor, as I said earlier, is going to be in terms of how you are able to build trust, you know, in this process. And you've seen that even there is a, there is a product which you are looking for, which is on a manufacturer's website, but the consumers, they feel more comfortable buying it from Amazon. If the same product at the same price, you tend to buy from Amazon, not, not buying it from the manufacturer's website. It is not because of the difference in the quality of the product. It is all about the experience in terms of either easy return or what happens if the product is not good. You know, so how you are able to build in technology in order to provide that simplification to the end customers is going to be the key. And we have seen that, you know, uh, the largest pizza retail uh, chain in uh, North America, one of the largest, they were the first in order to come out with a contactless and touchless delivery model. And that has improved, helped in terms of, you know, bringing in technology in order to drive revenue growth, you know. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. Uh, right. We have actually have a Q&A question uh, that actually lines up really well with, uh, with our, our next question in the panel. I'll, I'll read the Q&A question here and then I'll, I'll read um, the, the question we had written and I'm gonna hand that first to Jamie. Jamie's big into, into brands. I know you get the brands you love and follow and I think this is a, a perfect one for you to start with, but the, uh, the attendee uh, had said, with the increase in digital channels, how should we be thinking about how to establish and maintain trust that VJ was just talking about and customer loyalty different than in-person and, and physical methods. And then our, our kind of question lines up with that. How do these transformations that we talked about, how do they impact brand loyalty and what can companies do to build that loyal, digital savvy customer base post-COVID? So those questions I think really go together. It's all about digital and brand loyalty and trust all kind of wrapped into one. And how do we actually do that? And then how do we continue that post-COVID? things are going to change. So Jamie, I think, I think that's right up your alley to start with anyway. Yeah, this is a, it's a great question. Um, and it's been, it's been fascinating because um, we've seen actually consumers respond in a different way we didn't expect. A lot of, um, let's say big food manufacturers may not have had the best trust with consumers over the last three years. And they see, well, where's your transparency in your supply chain? Where has this product come from, et cetera. But then, during COVID, we've actually seen a flip to say, I'm going back to the brands my mum and dad use, et cetera. I trust these big brands for quality and I'm gonna go, go to them. So it's been a, a fascinating journey in that respect. So, but it's vitally important, I think, now to continue that momentum and how can um, the larger CPGs really show that transparency in uh, where the products has come from, the ingredients, et cetera, clean, um, clean labels, uh, et cetera. And, and also uh, we're lot, seeing a lot of consumers being more aware of the sustainability impact of packaging. And um, 
where does that play out as we sit at home more and look at all these boxes come in and look at all the, the plastic waste that we're generating, which is higher than normal because it's in our faces at home. Yep. So um, building the momentum and, and going to that agenda is going to be so important to post-COVID of how we, we tackle that uh, environmental challenge as well. Um, and that, if you do that right, it's going to then maintain a brand loyalty um, throughout. Um, talking of e-com as a channel, that's a great place. I think Evian uh, recently did their, their e-com bottle and it had uh, the label in the bottle, as it were, because you don't have to put as much uh, information on an e-com label as you do uh, one that's on shelf. So things like that is where, where are your e-com packaging strategies to help complement your portfolio um, so you can maximize that and increase the consumer experience. So yeah, this is a, it's a great question, but uh, uh, I think consumers are definitely wanting to buy into the brands that can show that in an authentic way. So you don't want to go out and, um, you know, start promoting your product to be like, it's, it's going to save the world, et cetera. And they're not going to buy it. And uh, you have to be authentic about it. I like that. I like that. VJ, what would you add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Jamie there, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, building the brand loyalty and, you know, ensuring that you bring in technology to win the trust of the customers. Yeah. Okay. Hey, let me do a, a next, uh, a next uh, polling question here. Um, it's really around millennials. So basically would millennials be the continued engine of growth for retail and CPG firms as the perception of consumer buying shifts more towards tech savvy and digital experience. Curious to see what we what we get here. Are millennials right now the biggest retail buying category? Uh, either one, I don't know the answer to that. I'm actually asking that as a question while we do this. Or does it matter? Does it matter which which group you're talking about? They're, they are the significant buying power population for sure. Um, you know, it's where you typically get get sort of the, the younger families as well in that segment. But um, I mean, for us and other CPGs, it's really about how do you shift away from these demographics and actually get more personalized? Because um, I, you, you're you're making some broad um, um, what's the word I'm looking for um, assumptions about you as an individual that might not sit in this category at all. So everybody's right, okay. different. So it comes back to the data analytics or your consumer journey and how do you um, um, maximize that to actually give them what they need. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, millennials, they are, they are increasing their spend in the channels which support their mindset. You know? Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, while online shopping offers, physical safety and easy price comparison, they are going to tend to, you know, adapt to that. And uh, online shopping for basics and keeping it, you know, uh, keeping it at least two weeks for safety stock. And so these kind of features help them in order to ensure that they continue, you know, uh, buying online, you know, so. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so BJ stayed with you um, partnerships. What what kind of, what partnerships will we see in this retail and CPG industry after COVID, and how will uh, the investment in tech kind of kind of pave the way for these new partnerships? So you know, uh, I think there there will be three kind of partnerships as we you know go through this phase and come out of it. You know, so. First is non-competitive partnership, which I was talking about the partnership yeah. Ali had. Lyft, Amazon, that kind of thing. You know, so we will see more and more of such kind of partnership which will be emerging out. Second, I talk about, you know, think in terms of tech partnership, which is in terms of with the adapting to the new business norms, which are now, how technology can enable them in order to drive revenue how you know technology can you know ensure that they're able to grow the top line and that's where the partnership which we have with uh, the leading you know pizza one of the leading pizza company with the facebook where you can go to the facebook 
you know, and in terms of order your pizza. We have seen such kind of partnership which is happening. The third is, which I see a lot of, in retail CPG, a lot of M&A mergers and acquisitions which are gonna happen. And that's the partnership which recently, which we saw, you know, in terms of uh, 1-800-Flowers acquiring personalizationmall.com. You know, today we, you go to the flowers, but 1-800-Flowers is able to solve only 20, 25% of your need. Either it's an event or a personal based. Can I impact 100%? Can I provide a 360 degree, you know, uh, 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 360 degree partnership in terms of ensuring I'm able to satisfy to what he or the person is looking for. So that's where, you know, the, and, and we have recently seen Walmart, you know, tying up with, uh, you know, Trivia, you know, in order to, uh, sorry, Trivica, in order to ensure that they are converting their parking lots into movie theaters. So these kind of partnership which we will see more and more as we move forward. Okay, interesting. I, I didn't know about the, the Walmart and the parking lot thing. I've somehow I've been living under a rock or something. Jamie, <laughs> what do you think about that partnership wise? Yeah, I think that to get ahead in today's world, you have to have your partnerships because um, with all the talent in the world, you're not gonna be do it, you're not gonna be able to do it yourself. So um, they're extremely important to, to keep going, stay relevant and, and get ahead. So, um, I mean, for us, Vijay, uh, I mean, you're here. I mean, you're, the partnership with HCL for us is really important to drive things like automation and um, really to see how can we accelerate some of our areas at scale. So leveraging your partners on your operational side is important. Um, we also saw recent news with Land Lakes, another agricultural business, um, the partnership with Microsoft and um you know, how do you leverage um, existing radio ways um, to provide connectivity in the rural environments and um, um, and using some of the, the farms there to be the base. So um, there's some really, really good partnerships going on. I think the unusual partnerships are starting with, you know, just look at farmers joining arms to tackle COVID uh, and, and joining R&D teams together, which you, you wouldn't have heard of before, you know, protect my IP at all costs. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's such an important part. So I think for us is how do you uh, have your talent and skill set to know how to leverage your partners? What is your platform and ecosystem play to understand, do you want to be part of an ecosystem or do you want to own the platform? And um, once you can work that out in, in whatever business model you have, then, then go after it. But um, extremely important. And then lastly for us, it's our retail partnership. Um, I wish we could um, be more fluid and transparent with data versus retailers monetizing it all the time and see what we can really do together. But that's going to be a long, long journey, a long burn uh, for us. But uh, yeah, very good. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, look, let's do our last uh, polling question. So if I could get Amanda to launch that. And it's all around packaging. So um, and this is something I know very little about. Um, I know that uh, my girlfriend buys wine because she likes the label sometimes, um, and I, I don't. But uh, will packaging be the bright star in the CPG goods differentiations as digital consumers shop online and buy at stores? So I'm, I'm curious what we're going to get with that. Okay, we'll leave this up for a couple more Seconds is another a different voice, a different verbal cue to alert everybody. There's a poll just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I alluded to it earlier, but for CPGs, it's how do you have the flexibility in your supply chain to create the econ products and um, uh, have them relevant for shipping and etc. So there's a margin piece to that as well as the experience on the consumer end. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Well, there you go. Um, some yes, a few more no, but a 54-46, so not a, not a, huge, not a huge split uh, there. So let me get to our, our, um, our final question, uh, unless we have one come in chat. We got about six minutes left for our, it, it, the time has flown, by the way. I can't believe we've been on here for, for this long. Um, uh, Jamie, I'll give this uh, to you first. Uh, how will these partnerships we talked about in the last question impact pre-COVID business models 
in, in these industries? How they impact pre-COVID? Um, well, I think it comes down to, um, I'm sorry, I'm, could you repeat the question? I wasn't- Yeah, you know, it almost seems like it should say post-COVID um, right. because how can we impact pre-COVID once we're at, let, let's go with post, how's that? How will these partner? I'm just I'm I'm just reading what I what I have here. Um, how will these partnerships impact post-COVID business models in these industries? How that's probably a, that's probably better, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's, I think look for us, it's looking at things around what is going to stick post-COVID, and nobody's got that answer. And um, right. as I said, we're seeing like 18, 25 percent uplift in in um, in e-com. Uh, let's say 12% of it sticks because um, consumers that were typically laggards are now saying, oh, actually, this is a pretty cool experience. I like it. and I'm going to continue using it. So um, developing those partnerships with, um, you know, the click and collect companies um, and, and uh, retailers understanding um, how to um, build the right warehousing capability to supply these different areas and know which product to put where. Uh, for us is is really important and then um, uh, whether you use third-party manufacturing to do your e-com products etc as I alluded to just just before but having the partnerships to be flexible in your manufacturing capability uh, is super critical uh, if you want to innovate and um, and and drive drive the business forward so um, working out some of those kinks is going to be important to do at a, at a different pace Okay, and that, that makes sense to me. And as I go back and think about this question too while you're talking, you know, perhaps the original thought of the question, now that I think about it more, is, you know, there was the, the business models people had pre-COVID. Um, how will these partnerships impact the way those go forward? So I guess it's impacting the pre-COVID business model, post-COVID, but it are because of that, are the business is really going to change a lot with these partnerships. I'm, so I guess I, I think that's a little confusing anyway for me, but um, I'm going to let BJ kind of see if he wants to take a, take a stab at that last question. And you can, you can interpret it any way you want. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, uh, my take is that the partnership will be driven by three things. One is that what is the return on investment? you know, in terms of whether it is going to help grow my revenue, whether I'm going to get customer data, getting closer to my consumer, understanding them. Second would be in terms of accelerating to deploy the new norms, which we, whether it is social distancing or whether it is in terms of ensuring the safety and wellness of people who are, which Jamie talked about in terms of, you know, people working from office and we have seen you know recent incident tyson's factory was closed for a couple of weeks you know yep. because of the pandemic effect so you know in terms of ensuring that whether the partnership is able to deploy these accelerators and third in terms of the channels which i talked about you know how you are able to integrate the new channels whether integrating with costco or krogers and building you know, the APIs, uh, which will help in terms of driving the revenue, you know? So your pre-COVID models are not working, you know, so post-COVID new channels, you know, so how you are able to integrate and drive revenue. So I think these are the okay. three factors which are going to drive, you know? Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, we, are, we are just about a minute from uh, having to uh, end this thing. I, I can't believe it's been an hour. Uh, Jamie and BJ, you guys have been absolutely phenomenal. And on behalf of IOP and the Knowledge Collective, I wanna, I wanna thank you both very, very much. I, I know there was a lot of prep time involved in this and it took time today, so, and I know you've got busy schedules, so I can guarantee you're receiving a lot of virtual applause out there, certainly getting it from me as well. Um, I wanna thank everybody else for attending as well. I hope you gained some insights that you can use going forward. Uh, this has been recorded and I'm gonna let Amanda kind of let you know, this thing's gonna have a lot of legs. It's gonna be out. Uh, there's a lot of ways for you to listen to this and take advantage of it. So I'm gonna say thank you on, for me as well. We've got a little session feedback form for you all. And I'm gonna turn it over to Amanda just to 
just to kind of end it all. So thanks very much. I really enjoyed being a part of this, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Jamie and BJ, for being here today on behalf of everyone at IEOP. Thank you for attending. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, we will have the uh, webinar recording will be available to you all uh, in about 24 hours or so. And look for this to be out as in podcasts and additional uh, feedback. And we'll be working with these guys to bring you some, some more follow up to this in the future. Thank you again for attending and have a great day.